You may open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I hope you enjoyed the passages of Scripture that were just read to us. One of the greatest prayers in the Bible, the prayer of Hannah from 1 Samuel 2. All of Isaiah 46. Oh, brethren, I hope you caught what was being said in the first few verses. Bel and Nebo were the gods of Babylonians, and they had to be carried. And they were so heavy with their precious metals that it caused beasts to faint. And yet the Lord goes on and says, I will carry you. It is a wonderful comparison there in those first few verses. Even to whoreheads, when our hairs are white and we're about to go out of this world, He's still going to be carrying us. They have to carry theirs and they get tired carrying their gods. Isaiah 46. And then Matthew chapter 22. Many are called, but few are chosen. Thank the Lord He sent His messengers into the highways of the Gentiles to call us in and good and bad make it into the churches of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ the King will come and visit those churches one day very soon. And we'll all need to have a wedding garment on and it's not a wedding garment of our making. It's the righteousness that Jesus Christ has clothed us with and that makes us fit for that wedding. You heard my frustration and anger at what I saw last night. To pick up a program and see that there would be an invocation and a convocation of prayer, your heart leaps a little tiny bit. We're going to open and close with prayer. Then you see the name of the church. Same person prayed both times. You see the name of the church and your heart leaps a little more. New Testament church. Wow. We're about to have a prayer by the pastor of New Testament church to open and close the University of South Carolina in the upstate's graduation ceremonies. Then you see that it's Reverend Deborah Edie, and your heart plummets, whatever degree it had been lifted up. And up comes a woman who said nothing, nothing, and would not mention the name of Jesus Christ because it cannot be mentioned in our society unless you are a real courageous hero. In both of her prayers, she called upon the Holy Spirit to bless the assembly. How in the world can you call upon the Holy Spirit to bless a gathering of pagans when you will not even name the Lord Jesus Christ for whom the Spirit was given to bear witness of? And that all the proceedings would never mention one thank you to the God of heaven. They want to thank the families for helping the students 
get their diplomas, degrees, and so forth. But no one wants to thank the God of heaven. They should have been thanking the God of heaven. They should have been begging the God of heaven to bless their lives. Instead, it was entirely a speech by one of our congressmen about never giving up. It lasted about four or five minutes. It was ridiculous. Where are the little children that will scream out in an assembly like that? But the emperor has no clothes! If you haven't read that little child's story, you need to read it. You know what? We have a Bible that tells us that from beginning to end. They have no clothes on. Do you know why no one will say they have no clothes on? Go read the story. It is an outstanding little story. Hans Christian Andersen. You know how often I mention something as ridiculous as a little tale like that. But there, it was written for the purpose that I'm using it right now. Remember those swindlers that came in and told the king they were going to make him the finest set of clothes ever? And they said, if you can't see these clothes, then it means that you're not fit for your station in life and you're not very intelligent. So nobody said anything. And that's why no one said anything last night. Because if you were to speak, everyone would despise you there and you wouldn't be deemed very intelligent. Praise the Lord for the truth of the Bible. New Testament church. Prayer to open and close. Great. Adam said to me, where was her hat? If she's going to pray in public, she needed to have her head covered. Anyway, brethren, let's thank the God of heaven that he's had mercy upon us. Were it not for him speaking the word, for us to see, for us to hear, and for us to understand, we would be in lockstep with any one of them doing the same things that they're doing and not knowing the difference. We would be unable to consider in our hearts, just as we read in Isaiah 44 and verse 19, and I will say again, I would rather men making a totem pole, at least recognizing that there should be a divine being outside of themselves than men who cannot see beyond themselves and think that they are the solution to the world's problems. Isaiah 9. We will give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and we will never apologize for His name. And they can tear us apart and Lord have mercy upon us. They can tear us apart and burn us like our fathers in the faith, but we will not deny the Lord Jesus Christ as our only true King and as God Himself. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it 
and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is our religion. This is the head of our religion. This is our Savior and our Lord. This is our King and our Redeemer. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. I am still preaching to you today about the dominion of God, but I want to be, I want to focus it on the Lord Jesus Christ and finish it today by His grace. I want you to see that in verse 6 it says, the government shall be upon His shoulder. The Bible tells us, for as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and hath given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. The gospel that we believe and preach and, and hopefully live for in this church is that Almighty God, Jehovah of the Bible, chose the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, to put in charge of the government of the universe so that all is subject unto Him except God Himself who put all things under His feet. But Jesus Christ is over all. Jesus Christ is the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. The government shall be upon His shoulder. God has raised a man. The man's beginnings were incredibly humble. He was laid in a manger. There was no room in the inn for His parents. His mother brought a sanctifying gift of turtle doves because she could afford no greater sacrifice. That man, Christ Jesus, is our Savior. And He is at the right hand of the majesty on high. We shall never be ashamed of Him. And if He casts our souls in hell, His righteous law approves it well as we sing. But we shall go there begging His mercy and singing His praise. And I hope you love Him this morning. And if you have not given Him His rightful place in your life, He will crush you. If you think your life is bad now, it can get worse if you do not put the Lord Jesus Christ in His rightful place. Now, He has His rightful place. And all I'm saying by those words is that you ought to humble yourself before Him and actively choose to obey Him. He will accomplish His will in you whether you choose to obey Him or not. But it's better for you if you choose to obey Him. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Don't try to limit the sovereignty of God to me. Of the increase of His government, the extent of His rule, the duration of His rule has no end. The peace that He will work is perfect peace. And He will establish His throne and His government with judgment and with justice forever. And the zeal of God is going to do it. And the zeal of the Lord has done it. He has sat down in heaven at the right hand of God. Will you follow with me through your ears very carefully? Let me read to you a few verses about the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you listen attentively? I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures 
the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day. In the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called 
the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed Him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it He should smite the nations. And He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And He hath on His vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is my Jesus. Is he your Jesus? We are racing to give an account to him very soon. He is King of kings. I have preached extensively to you before about Jesus Christ being King of kings and went through the Bible from one cover to the other, listing all those kings that he destroyed and played with on earth. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Amen. This God raises up and puts down kings according to his will, and he raises up over men, the basest of men. He doesn't have much to say for those he puts up, but he does put them up and he expects us to humble ourselves before their offices. I consider Keto Laomer. Do you know what his title was? King of Nations. You can read about him in Genesis chapter 14. Keto Laomer. He traveled several hundred miles to take the land of Canaan. He had three other kings confederate with him. He was destroyed by a shepherd and 318 trained servants. What was his name? Abraham. Praise the Lord. He is king of kings and lord of lords. On the way back from destroying those kings and taking all that they had, Abraham gave a tenth of all the spoil to another king, with whom he sat down and had bread and wine. Melchizedek, king of Salem. King of Jerusalem. A type, a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's king of kings and lord of lords. You know what he did to Pharaoh. And the Bible has many chapters about what he did to Pharaoh so that you can rejoice that the Lord is truly... King of kings. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? The Lord said to him in the midst of the Red Sea, Here I am. The Lord went into the host of the Egyptians and troubled them that day. You know what He did to the king of Assyria? Because we've read about Him over the last few weeks. I hope that you love some of those chapters we've read. How he considered him nothing but a saw that he shook back and forth. He was just being used by God as a tool. You know what he did to Nebuchadnezzar? And we have that wonderful chapter of Daniel 4. And let us never forget these things, but let us teach them to our children and our children's children that they will know that the Lord reigneth. Cyrus and Ahasuerus and Alexander were just his servants doing His will in several respects. 
If you read Isaiah 44 last night, you read the word Cyrus, the name of a Persian king, 150 years before he was born. I have purposed it. I will do it. He declares the end from the beginning, calling this ravenous bird from the east, from the Persians, to destroy Babylon and to deliver his people. He raised up Ahasuerus to marry our Esther, to save the people of God, the church of God alive in the Persian Empire. Have you read what he did to Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12 when he gave a speech and the people said, it's the voice of a God, not the voice of a man. How long did it take for the, for the Lord God to respond to that speech? Immediately, the angel of the Lord smote him and he was eaten of worms. Amen. This is Bible story time, right. my beloved children. This is Bible story time. We rejoice in all these things the Bible tells us about our king. Now, you're going to worry about some Joe Sung Wee? Some little depraved pervert on the campus of Virginia Tech? Are we going to worry about the United Nations? Are we going to worry about some head of state of some foreign country, whether it be the Soviet Union? Oh, sorry, they no longer exist. China, Cuba, the Lord reigneth. We have nothing to fear or worry. The Lord reigneth. And He is in charge of all the affairs of men. He raises up one nation. He puts another down. And in the second service, which is not far away, we will beg God to have mercy upon this nation because it deserves to be put down. But for the sake of the righteous within it, we want Him to be merciful to us. We have no reason to fear what kings may try to do. Brethren, we believe that our eternal life is wrapped up in the dominion of God. That God has chosen to save some and not to save others. It is human nature and the pride of humanity that says it is not fair that God does not try to save all. They do not care about the character of God. They just care about themselves. If they cared about the character of God, and I've said this many times, they would not bring themselves up as the first example of His unfairness. They would bring up the devil and His angels. Because why don't they worry about the devil and His angels not being given a Savior? They're called the elect angels. The ones that are preserved and the ones that are not are reserved in chains under the judgment of the great day. God has chosen to save some. It's according to His purpose. Now turn with me very quickly in your Bibles. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. We read it last Lord's Day. You read it last night. But let me remind you of a word that starts with P called purpose. That means a plan that will be accomplished. My purpose. I have purposed it. I shall also do it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. This is the doctrine of salvation we believe here. Salvation is according to His purpose. We love Him because of His purpose. 
All things work together for good to us because we love Him, because we are the called according to His purpose. Chapter 9 and verse 11. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of Him that calleth. See, there's that calling and purpose again. God appoints men by His purpose. And Jacob and Esau had their purpose chosen by the God of heaven. And we see that throughout the Bible. If we come over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We believe that salvation is according to God's purpose. We cannot hinder that purpose, nor can we help that purpose. If He reaches forth His hand, we cannot stop Him. He's purposed and He'll do it. We're talking about the giving of eternal life. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed. God has purposed. God is not trying. God is not offering. God has purposed, and He will bring it to pass. And this is our salvation, and it's upon this that we rest. Chapter 1, verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Our eternal inheritance is based on God's purpose, not on anyone's pleading, nor on anyone's paying, nor by anyone's preaching. It's according to His purpose that He saves us. What a Savior. What a Savior indeed. Chapter 3 and verse 11 of the same epistle. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we could go further. We could go further who have saved us and called us, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I tell you this morning about a glorious Savior who has purpose to save, and He will save. He is not trying to save. He has not planned to save if you'll cooperate with Him. He has purpose to save, and He will do it. His will is the only active will in it. Did you notice that in verses 9 and 11 of Ephesians chapter 1? Having made known unto us the mystery of His will. In verse 9. And in verse 11. Who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. It's His will. Let's turn backward in our Bibles to Romans chapter 9 again. Where we were a moment ago. Oh, brethren, let's establish our souls and our hearts and let's lift our voices and give Him thanks that He has purposed according to His will. God has exercised His will on our behalf. He does not care about your will. He overrides your will. Praise His glorious name. If you have any conviction in your heart that you want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, It is because God, in His willingness, 
is granting you repentance. And it should move you. If you have any desire, a true desire to humble yourselves and to repent and to seek His face and to love Him, and if you adore this Savior, it's because He has willed on your behalf. And you can know that. Otherwise, eyes are closed, ears are stopped up, and the hearts are cold and hardened against the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you have a love for Him, He has already willed on your behalf. Romans chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. How do we even describe the power of this being? There is nothing in you that motivates him to compassion or mercy at all. His compassion and mercy is purely a choice of his own will. So that it then we may conclude by the 16th verse, so then. That's a conclusion. It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. If you have God's mercy in your life that has moved you to love him, it is by, because God has chosen to have that mercy upon you. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I am that I am, and I will love whom I choose to love. That is the God of the Bible. And that is absolute, total sovereignty. No one dictates who he loves, except he himself, in the counsels of his own will. Let's come back to John John chapter 1. They say that we need to believe on Jesus in order to become the sons of God. We say, because we read the whole sentence, we believe on Jesus because we were already born again of God. John 1.13 says, Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are born again by God and does not involve the will of man. If you sit a sinner down who's lost in sin, he's dead in sin, he needs a Savior, his name is not in the book of life, that's the way they speak of it, then you make an appeal to him to exercise his will and make a choice. But the Bible says it is not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It goes on in John chapter 3 and verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth. The word listeth means where it wills, where it wants to. The wind blows wherever it wants to. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It has nothing to do with your will. It has everything to do with the will of God. Which in this place, the will of the Holy Spirit, is compared to the will of the wind. It bloweth where it listeth. And so we see the total sovereignty of God by the words that describe it being according to His will. Hebrews chapter 10 says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. And we could go on and on. We could go look at verses that say we are predestinated according to the purpose of God. We can go look at all the verses that say God chose us. 
We can look at all the verses that say God elected us. We can look at the verses that say we are the elect. We can look at the verses where epistles are written to the elect lady. We can go to the verses that say those in heaven are called and chosen that follow with the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that God set up a representative in the Garden of Eden named Adam, and He condemned his race, and He set up the Lord Jesus Christ as the second Adam who saved His people from their sins. You can break the covenant of salvation as likely as you can break the covenant of the day and night. As I've told you before. And you can't do the latter, so you certainly can't do the former. Let's not forget that the dominion of God includes our conversion. The Apostle Paul said, I endure all things for the elect's sakes. Paul labored for the elect. If you are ever asked, and it's usually asked scornfully, do you mean you only preach to the elect? Do you mean you only want to reach the elect? Well, 2 Timothy 2.10 says, I endure all things for the elect's sakes. I guess we do. I guess we do. I guess that explains why Paul, when visiting any city, would want to go to a synagogue rather than a brothel. He'd rather go to a riverside where prayer was wont to be made than a mall. Because he was looking for those that were already interested in God. And His Word. It includes the Lord opening the heart of Lydia so that she attended to the things that were preached by Paul. God's dominion over the souls of men includes granting repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by Him at His will. It includes God sending preachers because if a preacher isn't sent How shall they hear? And if they cannot hear, how shall they believe? We we saw recently in Acts chapter 16 how Paul tried to go south while he was in Turkey, what we call Turkey, which was then Asia Minor of the Roman Empire, a province. The, The Holy Spirit didn't let him go left or south. The Holy Spirit didn't let him go right or north. But the Holy Spirit sent him over into Macedonia so that he could preach to a jailer who had come to great conviction and said, Brethren, what must I do to be saved? Men came to John the Baptist in John chapter 3 and said, I paraphrase so that you get the lesson, Aren't you jealous? Look at, look at this man Jesus of Nazareth. All men are following him. A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. The success of his ministry is based on the dominion of God. It is God which worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you fully appreciate that? I've already said it a couple times. Do you appreciate that if you have a desire in you that convicts you and accuses you and makes you want to serve the Lord, and brings you to a place where you confess your sins and you repent of them, though you may fall into them again, do you know that it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure?
If God and His sovereign might did not work that in you, you would not be able to work it out. But we are called to work it out because He has worked it in. May the Lord help us to do that. Look at Romans chapter 9, and let's just very, very, very briefly remember that there is a doctrine, though the word is not used in the Bible directly for this point, the word is in the Bible, the doctrine of reprobation. The word reprobation, the word reprobate means rejected. There's a, there's, the Bible speaks of reprobate silver, which is poor silver that's rejected. And our, and except, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 that speaks of the fact that you are reprobates if you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ. Reprobation is the opposite of election. Election is God's choice of those He's going to save. Reprobation is God's choice to pass over the others and leave them in their sins to their just damnation. Romans chapter 9 verse 22. Never forget it. What if God, willing to show His wrath, and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Their purpose in life is their destruction, and God chose it. Remember, we all sinned. We all chose death. We all chose Satan against God in the Garden of Eden. These are vessels of dishonor. This is the potter and the clay. And what if God willing to do this? And He has done it. Who are we to bark against it? And if your heart says, it isn't fair, your heart should say, instead of asking, why wouldn't God make them all vessels of mercy? You should ask, why did He save anyone? If you were God or if I were God, I don't believe anyone would be saved after the way we have treated Him. But He has a divine purpose and plan in the whole existence of man and of angels. And it's for His glory. And He is right and just and holy in all His ways. Let us remember His holiness. Because He never errs in any way. And these three verses here, Romans 9, 22 through 24, speak of vessels of wrath in verse 22, vessels of mercy in verse 23. And then Paul identifies that the Roman saints, along with himself, were those vessels of mercy. Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Notice, out of the Jews and out of the Gentiles were his chosen people. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. Apostle Peter is writing about the New Testament church and the lively stones and the Lord Jesus Christ and how precious He is unto you which believe in verse 7. And He says this in verse 8, that Jesus Christ was made a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the Word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. That was God's appointment. And this is where we humble ourselves before His sovereignty. Look at Jude. The little book of Jude, a few pages over to the right. (coughs) God has chosen and appointed us to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God has chosen and appointed others 
to that wrath. Jude 1 verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw and heard some of that last night. Ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. What does it say of them? It says they were before of old. Now, when you get before of old, that's a long time ago. Before of old ordained this condemnation. We know the Bible says as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And as many as were ordained not to eternal life but to this condemnation are left in their ungodliness and wickedness like Jude 1.4 describes. Let me bore you for three minutes. Theologians like to speculate with the order of God's decrees. The school of supralapsarianism means that God decreed to send men to heaven or to hell before He decreed to create. Infra, that means under. Lapsarianism means that God decreed to create before He decreed to send some to heaven and some to hell. And so theologians write books and they go to seminary and they learn things like this. The debate over this order of decrees resulted in what is called High Calvinism. And for those of you that read, when you read about a High Calvinist, he's a supralapsarian. He believes that God decreed that some men would be to the praise of His glory and grace in heaven and some men would be to the praise of His glory and wrath in hell before even decreeing to create. They're not arguing about the timing of the events. They're arguing about the logical order of God's counsel. What do I think we should do about all that? Deuteronomy 29.29 The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong unto us and to our children, that we may do all the words of this law. What do I think about all that? I think Psalm 131 and verse 1. Let me read it to you. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. I could make a case for either. And what I want to make a case for to you right now is, God says, to whom then will ye liken me? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath instructed him? Why should we think that God has to think in the same kind of logical terms that we think? Your mind has to go from A to B to C, but who says his has to operate in that way? He is too infinite in understanding for us to try to figure Him out and to peg Him down to an order of His thinking. We know that He reprobated men for His own glory. It was not just to display His justice, but His own glory and sovereignty because it says that in Romans chapter 9. So I like to leave it alone. It's dangerous for us to try to assign priorities to God's counsel. We do not believe God was surprised by anything in Eden. Not a thing. He wasn't surprised by sin or Satan or Adam. We believe He's the first cause of Satan. He is the first cause of Adam. He is the first cause 
of sin. He is the first cause of death. That does not make him the active agent in those things. He is the first cause by creating creatures that were able to choose in rebellion against him. He is the first cause by creating commandments that they were able to break. That's the first cause of those chain of events. But in those chain of events, those creatures are responsible for their own voluntary disobedience and rebellion. And that's how the Bible sets it up. God using men, but in their hearts, He thinketh not so. He's thinking His own way of rebellion, and God's using it for His glory. Because God has said, don't do this. And man goes ahead and does it by obeying the devil. And the devil went ahead and did it by rebelling against God in heaven. We're not, we don't believe that God was surprised by any of that. So we leave that little subject alone. We could spend our time trying to figure out, are we really superlapsarians or are we infralapsarians? And we would waste so much time. Let's take a hold of verses like Romans 8.28, where we read, And all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Let's lay hold of verses like that so that we can live lives in obedience to God, and we will leave the secret things with Him, and we will not exercise ourselves in matters too high for us. We'll go with everything He says. And we have tried to cover the list that's in the Bible of verses that deal with His sovereignty but we don't want to go beyond them or try to construct a God that thinks the way we do. Brethren, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Amen. For unto you a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Right. All the sovereign power, might, and dominion has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ except for God Himself. And we should fall on our faces in our hearts and humble ourselves before Him this morning. He is a Savior worthy of your greatest affection and obedience. Hate evil. Remember His holiness. And ye that love the Lord, hate evil. And let's depart from it so that we live lives pleasing to Him. May Jesus Christ be praised.